Amen. Well, Antioch kids, you can go to your classes and together as a church we say, you are sent. Well, as they make their way out, I just want to say again, good morning. My name is Jason and uh, I'm one of your distributed members. My family and I live and work in Grenada where we've been for a, a little over a couple of years. And we're here, and it's just so good to be here with you. Uh, we're about halfway through our trip, so we, so we have around a month left. And again, it's a joy to be here with you, just to open God's Word and to see what the Spirit has to teach us through it. We are in our Advent series entitled, Behold Our God. And I realize we're maybe getting a little late start on this series, but as you know, we have had some uh, significant uh, church matters here that took precedent and priority. But nevertheless, here we are, our Advent series entitled, Behold Our God. And that's what Christmas is all about, right? Not the gifts, not the warm Christmas spirit, not even those great gatherings that we have with friends and family. Those things are nice, but that's not what it's all about, is it? Beholding our God, our Savior King. That's, that's what we look forward to this season. This morning we're going to be in a very famous passage, one that uh, many of you are certainly familiar with. It will be in John 1, verses 1 through 18. And we're going to talk about the Word who became flesh. Now, there is loads of good things packed into these 18 verses, so I encourage you this week, don't let Sunday morning be the only time that you read the Word, right? So, as you this week are hopefully reading the Word, would you go to this passage and continue to unpack what is in here for us, because it is so dense. All right, here's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at, we got four points. First, we're going to talk about how Christ brings life. Christ brings life. We'll see that in verses one through four. Second, in verses five through nine, Christ brings light. And third, in verses eight, four, 14 to 18, Christ brings grace. So Christ brings life, Christ brings light, Christ brings grace. And some of you may be thinking, well, what about verses 10 to to 13. We're going to circle back to those. And fourth, we'll talk about our two possible responses. So let's dig in. If you are physically able, I ask that you would stand with us to honor the reading of God's Word. Again, our passage this morning is John 1, verses 1 through 18. Church, hear the Word of the Lord. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. 
He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Church, the Lord has spoken to us. Let's say this together. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the the amazing truths that you have revealed to us through it. And God, I ask that you would be with us this morning. Spirit, I ask that you would empower me to, to speak your truth clearly. I ask that you would illumine our minds so that we could understand your word and that you would soften our hearts so that we may apply it in faith and obedience. Lord, fill us with awe and joy. Would you give us a renewed resolve to behold you as Lord and King, and would you move us to know you more deeply? We ask this all for your glory, for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. Well, when I was in high school and throughout college, I was, I was deep into photography. Those of you that have known me for a long time, you guys know that. Uh, I developed my own film. This was, I started back before uh, d- the digital world just ruled. So I developed my own film and made my own prints. And uh, in the house that I was living at in high school, we had an unfinished basement and there was a bathroom down there. And my parents were kind enough to allow me to convert that bathroom into my own darkroom. It was, it was really great of them. And, you know, when, when, you're, when you're in there making, making prints, you know, you can have that little red light that some of you may be picturing on. But when you're opening the film container itself and transferring it from that container to this light-safe little container to put the chemicals in, it has to be pitch, pitch black, totally black. And so you have to do it all by feel. Well, there were many times there at the beginning that my 16-year-old self thought that he did it right, right? Close that door, taped up with black tape every, every single crack that I could see, and then I would turn the lights off and I would, I would begin to work. But as my eyes began to adjust, I would start to see some light coming through this crack and then some light coming through that crack. See, no, no place with the slightest of cracks can keep out the light. And as we'll see today, the light of Jesus shines in the darkness. And no matter how much it tries, the darkness cannot overcome it. So in my opinion, these 18 verses are about as beautiful of an introduction as a book can have. 
And some think that it was even sung as a hymn in the early church. And I think it's a great Christmas passage because of what verse 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Christmas, right? That's why we celebrate it. The second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, has come into the world, born a man, dwelled with his people, and made a way for us to be rescued from our sin and reconciled, put in right relationship with God. That's what it's all about. I think one question that we need to answer right at the outset is, who is the word, capital W, word, in this passage? I mean, I've already said it. You guys know it. That's Jesus Christ, right? But how, how, do, we, how do we know it? Like from the text, how do, we, how do we know it? We know not only from the context of the rest of the book of John, that John's referring to Jesus as the word, but look with me down at verses 14 and 17 really quick. So verse 14 is talking about the word, and it says the word brought grace and truth. And then it says in in verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through who? Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ, we can see from the context, is what John means by the word, the word made flesh. All right, so now that we see clearly from the text that that's what John is doing, let's go back to verses 1 and 2 and talk about how Christ brings life. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, there are three big truths that I want to point out packed in just this first verse. You're like, bro, three sub-points to your four points? That's all right. It's worth it because it's beautiful. So first, there has never been a time when Christ did not exist. So he is eternally pre-existent. In the beginning was the word, right? Second, and the word was with God. So that word with, it carries this idea of nearness, of intimacy, of, of a moving toward. So he is eternally in relationship. So eternally pre-existent, eternally in relationship. There has always existed the deepest intimacy within the Trinity, And third, that last phrase, and the word was God. So Christ is eternally God. God in essence and character. Though separate from God the Father and Spirit, he was God in every way. And so this little verse carries massive, compact truths about our Savior and and about the Trinity. Before Jesus was born, before the word became flesh, he existed as God and with God for all of eternity. There was never a time, there has never been a time when Christ did not exist. So Jesus didn't, you know, start to exist when he was born, right? Or even when he was conceived in Mary's womb by the Holy Spirit. He has always been, there's never been a time where Christ was not God. There has never been a time where he did not have perfect fellowship with God the Father and, though not mentioned here, God the Holy Spirit. And, you know, that'll hurt your head if you think about it for too long. And, and that's good for you. Maybe you should grab a nice cup of coffee, go sit at the park, and just think about that until your head hurts. And then what should that do always? It should lead us to humble worship. So let it hurt your head. All right, so, so verse 1 What is John bringing to mind? This first couple of words, in the beginning. What does that bring to mind? 
creation, right? So that brings Genesis 1-1 to mind, and that's, that's intentional. In the beginning was the Word, right? And he continues with the same idea in verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So again, I think one reason John puts this in here is because it emphasizes that the word is God. Because like we just said, what's one of the first things that comes to mind when we think of God? Creator, right? And if he is creator, that means he was not created. He has always been. So John's saying here that, that nothing made its way into the world without the sovereign purpose of the creator. All things were made through him. Without Jesus, nothing that was made was made. It's awesome. So Jesus Christ, the word through whom all things were created, he brought life at creation and he brought life when he came into the world. Not only did he bring life, but also light when he came into the world. So the, the, the life, his life, was the light of men. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Then it continues in verse five. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. The Christ is the the spiritual life-giving light in this dark world. This is God's loving way to bring life to our dead hearts. Because where light goes, darkness is removed, right? So light removes, light reveals what is there in the darkness. So in little Ruthie, is afraid of something in a room at night, I can go in there, I can turn on the light, and she can see what's there, right? What's making that strange shadow? The light reveals what was in the darkness. So now to take this big truth, this big idea, and to to zoom in on a personal level, when God's light shines into our lives, it reveals the darkness, the the sin that's, that's there. And that's for a purpose. It's so that we can confess and repent of that. And when we do, he brings life. So is there bitterness in your heart today? Let him shine his light on it to reveal it to you. Go to him in faith and repentance and he will breathe life, new life. Is there hatred? Is there lust? Is there discontentment? Envy? Pride? Let him shine his light on it, reveal it to you so that you can come to him in repentance and in faith and be changed. He brings life, church. To use another photography illustration, when you look at a film negative, just sitting on the table, you can't really see the image. You can't really tell what's going on there. It's not until you put it in the enlarger and you let that light shine through that negative down onto the paper that you see everything that's been on that film all along. And so in the same way, let Christ's light pierce your heart and reveal what's there. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. 
The, the light of Christ came into the world. Darkness pounced on it, and it tried to strangle it, but it could not overcome it. The light was simply too powerful. On, on Sammy's birthday last year, we went to a restaurant to celebrate. And there aren't many restaurants on our side uh, of the island, but there's one about 20-minute drive away that we go to every now and then on special occasions. And so we went there for Sam's birthday, and it was a new moon. And when it's a new moon in Grenada, it is dark, like dark, dark. And so as we're driving home after we celebrated Sammy, there's this little section of road that runs right along the coast. And so we pulled over, got out of the van, and just kind of observed how dark and the, you know, listened to the waves. And just, it was, a, it was a really nice moment. Well, about 18 miles off our coast is another island called Cariacu. That's part of Grenada, but it's, it's 18 miles offshore. So as we stood there, pitch black, we looked way off the shore, and we could see a couple of clusters of lights on Cariacu. So it was dark enough that we could barely see our hand in front of our face, but we could see lights from a village 18 miles away. Like, no matter how much darkness was around us, no matter how much darkness stood between us and Cariacu, the light pierced through it. And that's what Jesus does for our hearts, church. Christ comes for us. So no matter how far you may feel you are, you are never too far for his light to reach you. His light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Some of your versions, some of your Bibles might say understood or comprehend. It's the same idea. Darkness can't do anything about the light. Darkness can't overcome it, just like creation can't overcome its creator. But it says it doesn't just shine. It does something to our hearts. What does it do? It brings life, spiritual life. Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Ephesians 2 tells us that we were spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. If you're a believer here this morning, God has made you spiritually alive by his totally, completely undeserved unearned grace. Life-giving light seeks out the world lost in darkness. What amazing grace, church. Now, all these verses, they're getting us ready for verse 14. The word became flesh. Remember, I said this was a Christmas passage, right? Verse 9, it helps us anticipate this. It says about this life-giving light, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So John is saying, this amazing creator who shines light into the darkness, he's coming into the world. Get ready. Get ready. So we're going to jump over verses 10 to 13 for now. We'll come back to it. 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And the word became 
flesh. God the Son, who has always existed with the Father and the Spirit in heaven, came to earth, born of a virgin, fully God and fully man, and dwelt with his creation. That word that literally means tabernacled among us. So before, if you remember, where was God's presence? It was in the tabernacle. And then it was in the temple. But now he was present with and among us. He tabernacled with us, among his people. But, but why did he come? Why did he become flesh and, and dwell among us? Well, he became a man to die. Because we could never live holy enough lives to earn our salvation, God himself came down, became flesh, and lived up to that standard for us. Jesus, as God, pure and simple in heaven, he couldn't die for sinners. But as a man, he could. So he had to be born a man so he could die for mankind. He was born to die. That's the meaning of Christmas. God's grace coming to us in our sin. And you may think like, dude, what about Good Friday and Easter? Yes, but this is where it all started. He became flesh and dwelt among us. And so we see the grace and truth from verse 14 when we see the glory of Christ's birth. Let's look now at verse 16. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So I want you to picture grace here like a, like a fountain. It's God's ultimate love coming to us in Christ. So Christ overflows with grace. He wants to overflow in your lives and he wants you to then overflow with his love and with his grace to others. There's, there's uh, very much a, a vertical and a horizontal dimension here. Christ gives us grace. He pours it out on us and so that we can then give it to others. When his grace is poured out, it's, it's more than enough for you. It says grace upon grace flowing out. So this is telling us about God's amazing, sufficient, wonderful grace that comes through the word made flesh. Again, no one is too far for God's grace. So if you feel that you are, that whatever you have done has has made you too far gone to receive God's grace, has somehow made you too bad to receive God's grace, I want you to know this morning that that you aren't, you aren't too far. Romans 5.20 tells us this beautiful truth. It says, when, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. When salvation by grace enters our lives, death is no more. Remember Ephesians 2. We were dead, but Christ, God made us alive through Christ. So when grace enters our lives, we, we breathe again like we were created to. And when we truly experience him, not only is our relationship with him changed, we're put in right relationship with God, but our relationship with those around us begin to change as well. Remember, it's vertical and horizontal. 
Because as we receive grace and love, we begin to grow in grace and love, and that overflows and pours out on those around us. And so the way we treat our spouse begins to look different. He begins to change it. The way we talk to our children becomes different. He begins to change it. The way that we handle conflict with our, with our coworkers or with our neighbors, he changes all of it. And in those moments where we see this change in our, in our actions or in our response to people or in our response to our, our situations, then we should praise God for his grace because that's an evidence of the spirit at work in us. And in those moments where we might fail, which if you're anything like me, you fail a lot, when, when we don't respond how we should to, to those around us, to our, our circumstances, we should seek God's grace and then we should praise him for revealing our need for him to us because that in itself is an evidence of grace. The beginning of, book, uh, the, beginning of the book of Acts Luke describes the early church and God is moving in amazing ways. And in chapter four, as it describes these early Christians, it says in verse 33 that great grace was upon them all. And then it began to describe how that grace affected those believers in really practical, everyday life ways. It says that they became increasingly generous. It says that they began to encourage one another in the Lord. Grace affected their daily lives. It's, grace isn't just something that we experience once at salvation, but it's a constant overflowing fountain that affects all of life. That's why each week when you guys are at family group, we go around and we do evidence of grace, right? Because it's not something that we received once at salvation. It's just something we receive daily. So what's the way that you've seen God's grace today? What's the way that you've seen God's grace this week, this season? This, this year. That's why it's built into the DNA of our church, evidence of grace, because it's everywhere. Again, verse 16, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. What does that mean? I, I, I've already kind of said, as you receive grace, that flows out to others. And as you do that, grace upon grace, more grace will come. And you give that out, and more grace will come. And then even more grace. Some of your Bibles might say grace following grace or grace heaped upon grace. It's the idea that that grace keeps on coming. It keeps on flowing over and over and over. It doesn't run dry no matter how much of it flows out, no matter how much we draw from it. It's more than we could ever use. So in our little village of River Sally, the electricity goes out from time to time. And, you know, here in Kentucky during tornado season, it happens sometimes too. We haven't been gone that long. Uh, when that happens at night, what, what do we do? We go and we grab our candles from our cabinet and then we begin to light them around the house, right? But we don't light a new match for every candle, right? That would be insane, <laughs> What do we do? We light the first candle, and then we take that candle, and we light the second one, and then we light the third one, and then the fourth one. Now, when we do that, does that candle lose any of its light, any of its flame? No, right? 
In fact, the whole neighborhood could come and light their candle on that one candle, and it wouldn't lose any of its light. And that's how it is with God. He is an infinite source of all grace, so that if the entire world would draw from his grace, it would never run out. Martin Luther writes about this. He says, even if the whole world were to draw from this fountain enough grace and truth to transform all people into angels, still it would not lose as much of a drop. This fountain constantly overflows with sheer grace. Let's be a people who receive grace upon grace and then give grace upon grace out to others. Amen? Amen. All right, let's circle back to verses 10 to 13. Here we have our two possible responses and the results of those responses. So, all right, this isn't in my notes. I, it, it, okay, this might feel a little like school, but I think that it could be helpful. So the structure of these 18 verses is a, is a chiastic structure, a, a chiasm. And all that means, you see this pattern in Scripture where... Uh, it's kind of like a mirror that's all pointing to something. So a passage will start with an idea and end with an idea, and then it goes in another layer, mirrored idea, another layer, and then right smack dab in the middle, you have kind of what this whole thing is pointing to, and that's kind of what the, a, a big emphasis of the passage is. And so here, this is structured like that. So at the beginning, we have this big truth about Jesus. In the beginning was the word, he's God. And then it ends with another big truth about Jesus. No one's ever seen him, but he's made the Father known. And then you go in a a layer, and it talks about this dude, John the Baptist. You notice he pops up twice. You're like, dude, why are we talking about John again? Well, that's that's on purpose. That's because it's following this structure. So we got John the Baptist, John the Baptist. And then we've got something that Christ does. So he brings life and light, and then he is the light of men. He became flesh and he dwelt among us. Okay, so that's something big Christ does. And then right in the middle, what do we have? Our two responses. Our two responses. And so it's like John, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying, hey, these great things that I've just talked about, they can't be ignored. You've got you've to make a choice. You've got one of two options. We can either reject Jesus or we can receive Jesus. Those are the only two options. It says, verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. That statement sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? The creature didn't acknowledge the creator? Well, it sounds ridiculous because the way mankind responded to Christ is, quite frankly, ridiculous. Jesus was in the world he created and they didn't even know who he was. But I think worse than that is the tragedy of verse 11. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. So his own, that's referring to his people, the Jewish people who had been anticipating a Messiah for literally thousands of years hearing stories of God's promised rescue plan, of prophecies telling of a coming king who would rescue them. And he was here. He had come. He had arrived. And he was rejected by his own people. Incredible. 
Well, I think what's even more amazing is that even now, today, after thousands of years of the Spirit's witness in the lives of believers, people still reject him. But as we know, not everyone has rejected Christ, right? You guys are here. Many respond every day and continue to respond. And what happens when people do respond really should take our breath away if you think about it. I think one danger we have when we come to really familiar passages like this is we can kind of gl- like gloss over them, read through them real quick, like, yeah, kind of, I know that. But let's stop and consider just how amazing this truth is. Verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Well, that's an amazing statement. God, the creator of everything, the one who upholds every little thing by the power of his word, enables you and he enables me, ones who had rejected him, to become his child. Now this truth, when we really consider it, should make us fall on our faces in humility And then jump for joy in worship. I think that's the only appropriate response for a truth like this. Being God's children means that we can call God Father. You couldn't do that before Jesus came and made a way for you to be adopted as one of his sons or daughters. Galatians 4, 6 says, And because you are sons, God has sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That's an an affectionate word that means dearest father. Some liken it to daddy. That's a great privilege that you have as one of God's children. My sister and brother-in-law, they adopted these two amazing kiddos from Ethiopia. And it was a really challenging and lengthy process. It took a few years and, and they did it two separate times. But finally, at the end of each process, they were able to fly to Ethiopia, stay for a few weeks, and then bring their child back to America. Now, the moment that they signed those final papers, that baby was 100% their child. Those kids became citizens of the United States of America. They received every right and privilege extended to U.S. citizens. My sister became 100% their mama. My brother-in-law became 100% their daddy. They were now responsible to parent and provide for and guide and discipline these beautiful children because they are completely their children. Not kind of. Not kind of their children. Completely their children. God's word tells us that when we believe and receive him, when we, we, we become his children, not kind of God's child, completely God's child, 100%. And you have a new citizenship too. Philippians tells us our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's amazing, church. And that's the result of receiving. But what about the result of rejecting? Though it's not explicitly stated in our passage, we know that if to receive is to become a child of God, then to reject is to not become 
a child of God. The one who rejects Christ remains in darkness, remains in sin, remains an enemy of God, subject to his wrath. If you haven't today, would you receive him? And if you have, would you please feel the weight of that truth? And would you allow the weight of that truth motivate you to go and share Jesus with the lost around you? Because it's quite literally life and death. Those are the consequences at stake here. So let the weight of that sit on you for a moment and and let it motivate you. Ever since sin entered the world, darkness has been trying to overcome it. Darkness has been trying to overcome the light. And there was a time when darkness had thought it had won. It killed Jesus. But darkness cannot prevail over the light. He rose. He couldn't stay dead because life is in him. Darkness was no match. And now our king sits at the right hand of the father where he awaits the day when the father sends him again. And until, uh, until then, he's given us the gift of his Holy Spirit to dwell in us, empowering and guiding us until the day when we will dwell with God forever. And now you have to choose how you will respond to the light. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I think the question we need to ask ourselves is when? Will you do it now? Will you receive him now and be adopted as his child? Or will you reject him and wait until it's too late? Because one day it will be too late for that confession. Maybe this morning you need to ask God for a renewal of his grace in your life to overflow to others. Maybe you believe all of this stuff, but maybe as you're hearing it, you're thinking, Lord, I I need more grace so that I can overflow that grace and that love to others. You've been shown amazing grace by God. Keep drawing from that fountain. Behold our God and let his light fill you this Christmas. This is a time of year when everybody's getting together with, with friends and family, coworkers, and we're living in a time where there just seems to be so much darkness, right? What better opportunity do we have than now to share the real hope, the real joy, the real peace that we have through Jesus Christ than now? Like, don't waste this opportunity. Go and give the grace you've received from Jesus to those around you. He'll do amazing things in and through you. As we await the day when there will be no more darkness, Christ has given us a tangible sign of an eternal reality that we remind ourselves of each week. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And in the same way, he took a cup of wine, and after blessing it, he passed it to his disciples and said, this cup is the new covenant marked by the shedding of my blood. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he returns. Today, we are announcing that Jesus, the word made flesh, shines light into the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it.
Amen. Our tradition here at Antioch is to come down, come forward, break off a piece of bread and dip it in the cup. If you're a baptized believer, I invite you to come forward and, and partake in this meal. And if you're not, I just want to encourage you, don't, don't take this meal today. Instead, take the real thing. Take Christ. He's made himself available to you this very moment. There will be pastors and people in the back eager to pray for anyone that has any need. No need is too small to go back there and, and seek prayer. Church, let's pray. God, we, again, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for all of the, the dense truths that are packed right here. Lord, I just pray that you would convict hearts this morning that need to be convicted. I ask, Spirit, that you would come and you would, you would breathe life into those that are dead. God, I pray for this church. God, that as we interact with others around us this season, Lord, that we would not waste the opportunity to to declare your glory, to declare Christ's glory, not only among the nations, but here in our neighborhood, at our Christmas parties, at our family gatherings. Spirit, would you just empower us now to, to do that? God, we thank you for this meal that we are about to partake. We thank you for Christ who came, lived up to your standard, Father, died the death that we deserved, and then you rose again so that we could be reconciled to you. God, may we not come down this aisle and do this just as a, as a ritual, but may we really understand the, the weight and the truth of this meal together. God, we, we thank you again, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.